Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutic Thursday's podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members to sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. If you are an ASHP member, you will also have the opportunity to earn continuing education for listening to this episode. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for more information. My name is Babak Shah, an Associate Professor in Pharmacy Practice at the Jefferson College of Pharmacy in Philadelphia. And our guest today is Dr. Matthew Fuller, the National PBN Clinical Pharmacy Program Manager at the Veterans Health Administration. In this episode, we will be discussing ketamine and esketamine's role for neuropsychiatric disorders, namely for major depressive disorder. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Bobak. I appreciate this opportunity to speak about ketamine and esketamine in the management of depression for this podcast. So can you provide to us a little bit of background about what are the gaps in the pharmacotherapy for patients with depression? Sure. But before talking about gaps, I think it's important that we first discuss what major depression is and how it is diagnosed. Major depressive disorder, or MDD, defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM, as an individual who is experiencing five or more of the following nine symptoms during the same two-week period and represents a change from previous functioning. At least one of the symptoms is either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So let's review these nine symptoms. Number one, depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Number two, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in activities, also referred to as anhedonia. Number three, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain. Number four is insomnia or hypersomnia. Number five is psychomotor agitation or retardation. Number six is fatigue or loss of energy. Number seven are feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Number eight is diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness. And number nine is the recurrent thoughts of death. So five or more of those nine for two weeks. In addition, the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of function. And third, is this episode is not attributable to the physiologic effects of a substance, say, for example, like CNS depressants or withdrawal from a stimulant, or they're not due to another medical condition, say, for example, hypothyroidism. MDD is a common psychiatric condition that causes significant disability and disease burden. Unfortunately, depression is often untreated and when treated, may require multiple medication trials. Approximately 70% of patients with MDD do not achieve remission and remain in the acute phase after the initial pharmacologic treatment. Further, up to 30% of individuals with MDD do not receive adequate benefit from several 
antidepressant drug trials and are considered treatment resistant. The pharmacotherapy gaps in treatment for patients with depression include the lack of rapidly acting agents that achieve high remission rates of MDD and that are also useful for the management of treatment-resistant depression, or TRD. So new strategy and new treatment approaches to manage MDD and TRD are needed. Thanks, Matt, for that background. I didn't realize that up to 30% of patients with major depressive disorder were considered treatment-resistant. That seems awfully high, and it makes sense that that's a gap. And so when I learned about S-ketamine being newly approved for depression, I was sort of dumbfounded by that, just my own ignorance, because, you know, we had that association for pain and for other things. So can you explain to us what is the pharmacological basis in on the neurochemical level about why ketamine and S-ketamine would work for depression? Boy, that's a tough question, but let's talk about what we know. Ketamine and S-ketamine the S enantiomer of racemic ketamine are non-selective, non-competitive antagonists of the N-methyl D-aspartate or NMDA receptor, and it's an ionotropic glutamate receptor. There's some evidence suggests that ketamine's mechanism extends beyond the glutamatergic system involving opiates, which is supported by work showing that pretreatment with oral naltrexone blocks the antidepressant effects of ketamine. There's other evidence suggest GABA and the complex second messenger pathways culminating in varied neuroplastic and neurogenic responses. Additional proposed mechanisms include activations of the NMDA receptor and the AMPA receptor systems, traditional monoamines like serotonin and dopamine, brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDNF, the mammalian target of rapamycin, or mTOR, low-voltage-sensitive T-type calcium channels, endogenous options, transforming growth factor beta-1, and the gut microbiome. So as you can see, there's many diverse mechanisms that have been proposed. However, the exact mechanism by which ketamine and S-ketamine exert their antidepressant effects is still unfortunately unknown. That's incredible that ketamine and S-ketamine have such a diverse proposed pathway for affecting neurochemistry. I guess I never really appreciated all the other ways beyond the NMDA pathway. So can you explain to us how does this translate into clinical evidence that support the use of S-ketamine for depression? Sure. Current evidence suggests that both IV ketamine and intranasal S-ketamine improve depressive symptoms in patients with MDD for whom at least two previous adequate trials of antidepressant medications have failed. A meta-analysis of 20 randomized controlled trials evaluating the efficacy of single-dose 0.5 milligrams per kilogram IV infusions of ketamine in different subgroups to establish whether repeated administrations of ketamine infusions could be a viable strategy to maintenance treatment gains. The authors found that compared to placebo or midazolam in four studies, that ketamine used as monotherapy or in conjunction with an antidepressant in patients with TRD resulted in significant improvement in depressive symptoms after 24 hours. 
These improvements persisted at three and four day follow-up visits. Significant improvements compared with controls were observed for up to seven days in the TRD group when ketamine was added to ongoing antidepressant treatment. However, there was no significant difference at seven days when ketamine was used as monotherapy. So these results really supported IV ketamine infusions as an adjunctive treatment for short-term reduction in suicidal ideation in patients with suicidal ideation and MDD. Now the evidence for S-ketamine was evaluated in a meta-analysis of five randomized controlled trials that examined S-ketamine as augmentation therapy found that twice weekly dosing of S-ketamine as augmentation to ongoing oral antidepressant use improved depression symptoms and remission rates in patients with MDD at up to 28 days of follow-up. These results were only seen in patients with TRD and those with new or optimized antidepressant therapy. S-ketamine is also approved for the treatment of depressive symptoms in adults with MDD and acute suicidal ideation or behavior. However, the effectiveness of S-ketamine in preventing suicide or reducing suicidal ideation or behavior has not yet been established. Ketamine lacks long-term efficacy and safety trials in MDD, and the bulk of the evidence on short-term seven-day efficacy is from studies in patients who have previously not responded to adequate trials of antidepressants. Although there is evidence to support longer-term maintenance use of S-ketamine, it too has primarily been studied in patients who have previously not responded to trials of antidepressants. And unlike ketamine, S-ketamine has a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy requirement that includes requirements for pharmacy, healthcare settings, certification, and mandatory monitoring for two hours after treatment. Ketamine and S-ketamine are not recommended as initial treatment for individuals with MDD, but rather reserved for patients for whom previous therapies have failed or who have not tolerated previous treatments or therapies. So I want to go a little bit deeper in that last part that you talked about. So S-ketamine wouldn't be an option for initial therapy. And so it's going to be reserved for patients who either failed therapy or didn't respond or are intolerant to other therapies. But can you talk to us a bit more about who would be the ideal candidates for S-ketamine and also on the other side of that coin, who we should avoid S-ketamine in? Yeah, sure. Ideal candidates for S-ketamine augmentation include individuals who have not responded to or have not tolerated several antidepressant medication trials of adequate dose and duration. Individuals who should not receive S-ketamine are those for which it is contraindicated. And this includes individuals with aneurysmal vascular disease, including thoracic and abdominal aorta, intracranial and peripheral artery vessels, or those with arterial venous malformations. It's also contraindicated in those with a history of intracerebral hemorrhage and in individuals with a hypersensitivity to S-ketamine or ketamine. Individuals with severe uncontrolled hypertension, as well as those who are unable to be monitored for at least two hours after administration, should also not receive S-ketamine. It is also not recommended during pregnancy, breastfeeding, 
And those individuals with severe hepatic impairment defined as having a child pew class C. And lastly, it is prudent to avoid in individuals currently abusing substances. Okay, great. So thanks for sharing that insight about who might be eligible or ineligible for esketamine. Can you tell us a little bit about how should we position esketamine? You spent some time talking about it being saved for refractory cases, but how does it also fit in with sort of other non-pharmacological treatments? Well, esketamine in conjunction with an oral antidepressant should be reserved for those who have TRD because that's one of the main indications. But it may also be considered along with other treatments for TRD, such as electroconvulsive therapy, which is ECT, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, or RTMS, as well as vagus nerve stimulation, or VNS. It may also be used to manage depressive symptoms in individuals with MDD with acute suicidal ideation or behavior. So if we have a patient who's then going to be started on an eligible for esketamine, what are some special considerations that the pharmacist should be aware of in terms of like dosing or administration or or monitoring? Yeah, there's lots to go over here. So when used for TRD, esketamine in conjunction with an oral antidepressant, a dose of 56 milligrams should be administered intranasally on day one. Subsequent doses may be 56 milligrams or 84 milligrams. These doses are provided twice weekly for four weeks during the induction phase and followed by 56 milligrams or 84 milligrams administered once weekly during weeks five through eight of the maintenance phase. At week nine and after, one can be administered 56 milligrams or 84 milligrams every two weeks or once weekly, depending on clinical response and tolerability, so as to maintain either remission and or response. However, because of the risk of serious adverse outcomes resulting from sedation, dissociation, and abuse and misuse, esketamine is only available through a restricted program under the risk evaluation and mitigation strategy called the Spravato REMS. So some important requirements of the Spravato REMS include the following, and that's that healthcare settings must be certified in the program and ensure that esketamine is provided in the following three ways. Number one, only dispensed and administered in a healthcare setting. So esketamine should not be dispensed directly to the patient. Number two is that patients treated in the outpatient setting, so those who are in clinic or those who are in medical offices, they must be enrolled in the program. And third is that esketamine should be administered by patients under the direct observation of a healthcare provider and that the patients are monitored by a healthcare provider for at least two hours after administration. So additionally, pharmacies must be certified in the REMS and must only dispense esketamine to healthcare settings that are certified in the program. Esketamine is fairly new. So can you tell us how has it been incorporated in the VA? Sure. The VA utilizes esketamine for the management of TRD and for patients hospitalized with MDD complicated by acute suicidal ideation or behavior. 
S-ketamine requires a non-formulary consult where criteria for use are utilized for adjudication, similar to what other healthcare systems and payers utilize. Patients may be considered for S-ketamine if they have not achieved remission from at least four adequate therapeutic trials, so appropriate dose and duration of antidepressants, either alone or in combination with evidence-based psychotherapy, and in the current episode of depression, are experiencing moderate to severe depressive symptomatology. The VA also has a national protocol guidance around the use of S-ketamine for the treatment of depression to help guide facilities who provide this treatment. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Matt, for a great topic and discussion. For our ACHP members, you can find additional resources and earn free continuing education for listening to this episode by visiting elearning.ashp.org forward slash podcast. Please note that continuing education credit expires two years after the date this episode is published. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to ACHP Official through your favorite podcast provider and see you next time. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.